I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi and welcome to the Sin 71 podcast. I'm your host for today's chat, Tom Hussey, and we're here to talk about everything from Australia. I've got frequent collaborator Ben Gilby from Impetus, as well as Chris Goman and Kieran Yap, who are literally on the other side of the world right now. Um, guys, good morning. 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 Uh, how are you both doing? Yeah, good. Had about uh, five hours sleep, so that's that's just enough. Yeah, same. We got about five hours sleep, so at the Matilda's game last night, and um, up early for this podcast. So, well, thank you so much, uh, Ben. Have you had enough sleep today in this afternoon? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been it's been a mad last few days um, with um, Matilda. So yeah, it, it's it's been knackering, but it's been amazing. Awesome. Well, so we'll we'll go straight into the uh, the double header against Brazil, um, a win and a draw. Any standouts from both games? I guess the, the thing for me was very physical game. Um, I was at both matches, um, and honestly, it was quite brutal to be honest. There was, um, I think, Caitlin Ford's going to have uh, quite a few bruises um, after the game, but um, very different. Uh, first one, Australia seemed to dominate and be in control. Second one, Brazil really stepped up. Um, and yeah, very different game the second game, and as it was reflected by the score. And you were there in a photographic capacity, is that correct? Uh, well, a bit of both. Uh, I was uh, watching and uh, yeah, taking photos as well. So I always take photos at matches. So, yep. Awesome. Um, ben, were you there as well, or were you? I don't know. You know, you're in Sydney, right? I'm in Sydney. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Melbourne. So I can't tell. Okay, so, yeah. so, so you weren't at that game. No, because of the, <laughs> because of the travel restrictions with um with uh, still the the COVID situation, it was only people from directly in Sydney who could go to the game. So I had to watch on TV. But um, yeah, I think it was a very entertaining game. A contest across the two games, really. Um, I think if uh, Australia had wanted to be a tight game, it would have been. They've closed down. Um, Sweden in the past and friendlies and, and the US in the Olympics, but I think they really wanted to have like a, a end-to-end sort of both teams go at it sort of contest and see see how they could fare in that sort of match. And it, it worked out pretty well in the end, I think, overall. Yeah, Brazil are quite a mixed bag of options for attack, defence, mm. and in the middle. Um, I think, yeah, that first game was definitely end-to-end, I felt. Yeah, yeah it was. And I think as well... You know, Brazil are in a very much a rebuilding situation at the moment. I mean, it was quite um, 
changeable team they put out in the first game, whereas tonight um, was quite much more experienced team. I think, you know, Kieran's absolutely right in terms of how um, the Matildas approached it. I think, you know, if it, after the game, they were talking about how, um, in terms of the second goal they scored tonight, which was a phenomenal team goal, how that was, you know, literally straight off the training field in terms of, you know, the approach play, um, you know, and the, the one-two between Ellie Carpenter and Kai Simon before the ball came into the box for Sam Kerr to score. And I think kind of that emphasises exactly what Kieran said, you know, I think they wanted this to be the attacking attacking display. And they, you know, they, they've always also said that they've got a wealth of talent in midfield and attack. It's defence where this, the, the solidity and strength isn't quite as deep. Um, and I think whereas defence wasn't as big an issue over the two games as it has been, we certainly saw the attack in all its glory, particularly as well how Brazil really sort of boxed off Sam Kerr pretty well tonight, but yet they could still create when they needed to with other players. Yeah, I saw her goal on Twitter earlier. Um, shout out Twitter. Um, and yeah, like she, it, it seemed like she still managed to find the space despite them knowing the, the biggest threat from that team. Yeah, I think it's a case that you can you can know what a player is going to do, but you can't necessarily stop them. And um, when Australia got moving with the ball and moving with the players off the ball, they were able to to just give her that little bit of extra space that she she needed, and that's all that all that she does need to score. But in the second half of the, tonight's game, uh, Brazil came back. So what changed? I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any highlights. I've just seen that one goal from a clip. Or, um, you know, what do you think changed in that second half? I think Australia were they were obviously they were in front at half time, but you know Brazil pretty had had a lot of the, yeah. certainly the second half of the first half certainly, um, you know, and they I think Australia came out pretty decently at the start of the second half. You know, they changed things around tactically at half time. They changed the way um, Mary Fowler was being deployed in midfield slightly. Um, and, and it, it seemed to work and they went 2-0 up. It was then after that, you know, the momentum went back to Brazil and it, it, it could have gone, it could have got, it could have gone the other way more, it could have gone worse for Australia. But I think probably on reflection, a draw is probably just about fair. That's fair enough. Um, yes, yeah, so I didn't see the, that game, so I was just wanted to know what it what it you know what it felt like that, uh, so there, there was a bit more a lot more possession with brazil uh the big difference between the two games is uh, marta and dabinia um both started whereas in the first game they came on quite late so i think in the first game they were really uh, trying out a lot of their new young players um and second one they went for a lot more experience and uh yeah it was a big big difference right from, they had a lot more possession um, it was a lot more up Brazil's half in the second game. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were much more dominant. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Australia was going off the adrenaline of being home in the first one because they really were much more dominant in the first game. Um, but, yeah, it did change around. Uh, probably, possibly even a bit of jet lag with um, Brazil too. Who knows? Um, but it was a different game. I found that really... Um... Uh, exciting about the first game that Australia was starting a lot of new players and Brazil was starting a lot of new young players as well. And um, on the back of that, we came out ahead three goals to one. So simplistically, our 
new players are ahead of Brazil's new players head to head just from that one game alone. But it was I thought that was very impressive from from our youngsters in the first match. I just wonder, yeah, Chris and Kieran I mean, as well. We apart from one change, we fielded exactly the same starting lineup as we did um, on Saturday, just two days ago. Obviously, with the majority of those players mm-hmm. flying in from Europe as well, were you guys mm-hmm. also surprised that it was such a similar starting lineup? Uh oh, I was a little bit surprised, yeah, because I thought. Um, We'd probably start in the second game some of the younger ones. I was sort of expecting it to be a bit more of a um, uh, a test for the younger players the second game. Um, but when I saw the starting lineup, I was like, oh, we've gone like tried and true. Um, and then I wonder sort of how much maybe their fatigue was coming into that a little bit. I, I'm not sure. But... Um, yeah, but uh, saying that, they um, Tony did put on uh, some of the new new players a bit earlier. Um, so, like, Claire Wheeler came on for a full half. Um, and then, you know, the late substitutions came in at 10 minutes, not like at two minutes to go. So, again, they got a bit more match experience. Um, and it was also at a more critical time. So, uh, before when they came on, like, literally it was – they were just coming in for the extra time, really, and the game was won. It was 3-1. Uh, this time they came on, you know, at uh, sort of 70, uh, 80 minutes, and um, it was 2 all. So there was still, you know, a game to win or a game to lose. So that was a bit more of a brave move uh, on Tony's part and required a lot more effort uh, on the part of um, the guys coming on. So Yeah, I think you, you raised that point, obviously, in the press comments that we were both in afterwards, and I think it was quite mm-hmm. it's quite revealing what... Tony said in response to that, wasn't it your question, I think? Yeah, yeah. Which was? What did Tony say? <laughs> I don't even remember. You wrote it up. So. Yeah, he was, he was saying along the lines of, you know, his, his sort of mantra is that, you know, he wants to give players a go. You know, he doesn't want to put a young player on the wing for the last couple of minutes just to get them game time. He wants to sort of see them play in their natural position where they can give their best to the team to try and establish themselves. And, you know, the only way they're going to do that is by getting time against, you know, some of the top teams in the world, which is pretty much where the friendly fixtures they're aiming for. They haven't got a competitive game until the Asia Cup and then there's no competitive game again until the Home World Cup. So it's pretty much all friendlies apart from the Asia Cup. Yeah, that is a fair old time as well i mean it'll come around and no you know it'll come around so quick but that is a long time away um speaking of of the players needing the game time there was only six players that well five in the from actually playing currently in australia and one in the nwsl the rest are all in europe somewhere um a lot of them coming from the wsl mm. a lot of them have moved over in the last couple of years now, obviously, that's. Do you think that's for continual game playing, or because I know a lot of them used to have like the WSL, uh, the NWSL, and then the um, the what was the W League, and just keep keep on that little continual loop. But now a lot of them are in Europe, and do you think that has improved them? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think they've sort of stepped up a level. Um, I, I think there was a couple of reasons there. You know, people. Uh, I think Tony wanted um, the players to get 
European um, experience. But also, as you said, uh, most of those players have been going to the NWCL, coming back to the W League, and just haven't had a break for you know five, ten years, sort of thing. So at least you know playing the WCL, they play full quite a long season, but then you know get a couple of months off, actually get to have a holiday, can you know have a break when it's not um, a global pandemic anyway, and they can travel and stuff. Um, but that that was a big motivator for a lot of the players, that's for sure. Um, Plus, you know, the experience as well. I think, you know, personally, as, as a big fan of the NWSL, um, I can see the focus has shifted to the WSL and uh, there's a lot of players there that, you know, just totally world-class and I, I actually do think it's the best league in the world at the moment. So, Yeah, I think um, uh, along the same lines of, of how they've improved, I think Kerr especially has become much more... Um, multi-dimensional forward since she's gone to England. She's, she used to just pretty much sit on the last, last shoulder of the last defender and um, and try and get the, the counter-attacks. But now she's able to drop deep. She links play a lot more. She's um, she's sort of developed an ability to not, not – will stay well onside and then wait for the pass and then to try and burst through the defence instead of being marginally offside all the time. Um, she's become a much more dangerous attacker and that's really important for probably our most important player. Mm. Yeah, I mean Ben's, you know, watching her play quite a lot very closely. And would you agree? Yeah, I mean I think I she copped a heck of a lot of abuse when she first came. So I think people here didn't appreciate they sort of were sold Sam Kerr the goal scorer and didn't necessarily see the other parts of her game that, you know, three of us that have seen her play for many, many years um appreciated. But I think it's, it, yeah, I mean, I think if you see how she plays, uh, you know, week in, week out at, at Kings Meadow for Chelsea, it's, she's not necessarily central very often at all. She's quite often, she's quite that bit further back where she's linking up, um, particularly in the midfield with players like Erin Cuthbert. So she's that bit more further back than she might have been in a time in Australia. Um, I think it's as well the defensive side of her game has really stepped up from, for me as well, you know, she's quite often, you know, that even further back. So she's taken one for the team a lot more. She's a, she's very, she's always been a really good team ethic player. But I think the players that she's now got around her at Chelsea have, have brought that bit more out of her. Because before, I think she was kind of almost more the focal point of a lot of the teams she's played for. Whereas with Chelsea, she's kind of one of several world class players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. Uh, you are lucky to have her. You're lucky that she's uh, playing for Australia. I think that was really obvious in the first game against Brazil that um, she, she's developed an ability to make space for other players a lot a lot more than before she went to Chelsea. So the the, the goal that Mary Fowler scored, Kerr peeled wide, gave the ball to Van Egmont, and then Fowler was open in the box at the far post. And um, she's a force of gravity. She just drags players with her wherever she goes. So... I think um, that's something that, that uh, Emma Hayes has really helped her develop and it's been to our benefit in, uh, in Australia. Yeah. yeah, and I was going to say very briefly, the um, the assist in the first game for Polkinghorne, that weighted header, mm. like that just perfect weighted header. She could have she could have tried to put that in for sure. She's got the skill to do it and just perfectly over to Polkinghorne. And... Yeah, and then again, she, she dragged four defenders with her to, to and, and the goalkeeper to, to put that header across. Yeah. 
exactly uh very quickly kieran is that a ted lasso shirt yeah it is it's a ted lasso shirt yeah uh, okay <laughs> that doesn't really mean much for a podcast um you can't all see it i can see it ben and chris can see it that's very cool um i assume you slept in it all night because why you know why not um you know gotta believe yeah gotta believe. so from from the front <laughs> from the front to the back Alana Kennedy, she got a hundredth cap in the last game. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I think my memory from the other day is yep. whooped. Yep. Um, she's still she's still very young. She's twenty six. I thought she was a little older, but she's one of the midway parts of the uh, Matildas. Yeah, and... she's she's it's like Ellie Carpenter. She, Ellie Carpenter's only twenty one, and she feels this feels like she's been here forever. It's, it's, yeah, so there's quite a few players like that in hmm. the team, actually. And have you seen, I mean, again, from the from a similar viewpoint, from moving over from the NWSL, uh, an interesting year at Tottenham and now over to City, where she's just been basically thrown in the deep end with uh, their injury crisis. Um, is she a defender? Is she a midfielder? Let's, you know, well, that's the ultimate question. Defender. <laughs> she's a defender. defender. <laughs> How the, it, it amuses God not anyone... Lots of people in the Australian football community just couldn't work out what the hell was going on. Tottenham. It's not as if you know. It's not as if Tottenham didn't need a, a good defender last season, was it? Really, you know. But I mean, I, I was going to say that I think, given all City's issues, they've still got a good coaching team there. So she should, you know, she's learning on her feet even quicker in a very tougher league, very much tougher league. Yeah, I think she's also just had had a case of um, well, if, if she was a forward, you'd say she had the yips. She just you know when they scuff shots and things are hitting the post and penalties are being missed, just things aren't falling right for for no good reason. Even though you've got all the talent in the world, and I think uh, just for a couple of games for Man City, she just um, had the yips for a defender and just things weren't weren't happening. But I think uh, these two games, one slip aside, she really showed what she can do at centre back, and I think she was almost faultless last night. No, that's good. I didn't. I haven't seen the performance yet again. Um, but it's interesting just to just you know see any kind of evolution that these players have had since moving to Europe. Um, but yeah, that is. I read it. Was it okay? So my memory's going a little bit here. Was it the um? A lot of the players went to Denmark or yeah. Norway yeah, for some training hearing. camps between. Is that right, Fortuna Fjoring yeah, or something? Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I read some. I read one of the reports on that. I'm not sure if it was from an Impetus article or somewhere else. Do check out all of these guys' work over there. Um, next, I was going to well ahead of December the third, which is the I want to say you know, inaugural A League Women, but I mean it's just a rebranded name, right? So I guess essentially it's still the same league, or is it is it starting from from zero essentially? Uh, it's the same league. Um, they've rebranded it to try and make it equal so that men's and women's football is called the same thing. It, it hasn't caught on just yet. Um, I think fans are still going to call it the W League for a little while, or at least they're going to call it the Dub for short, as, as it's abbreviated to. Um, uh, but uh, it's still the same league, so it's going to roll on as normal, except with some exciting new teams. Yeah. By all means, if... Uh... You know, so I assume that Chris and Kieran, you're going to be at a lot of these games. Um, what, are you trying to cover 
you know just, just in your areas or is there are you going to go further afield what's the what's the current ideas we'll start with chris uh with the a league sorry the sound yeah. has been a bit weird for me for some reason um typically i go to all the games in sydney and kieran goes to all the games in melbourne so um the the team cycle through so i you know i watch uh the wanderers and uh, sydney fc um occasionally i'll drive down to canberra and occasionally i drive up to newcastle um to catch game it kind of depends who's playing and what days they're playing and stuff like that but um yeah we typically cover yeah our local games um do a write-up i take photos um throw a few opinions out there so that yeah typically what we're doing so and the other one who's watching tv yeah 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 I wasn't sure if you if you like if you plan. I mean, I appreciate it's a big country, so I don't know quite how far your um, reach allows you to go to. One way, one way or another, last year between the three of us, we reported on every single game that was played in the W League, and then because week on week, sort of the audience grew and grew and grew, we then managed to get yeah, we were interviewing players and coaches and profiling things. So it just it's all. I don't think when we started the coverage last year, we kind of had an idea of. You know, we thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll try and do one game each, mm. but it, it's kind of snowballed and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So, and yeah, and it will be again this year, I think. Wow. So the new teams this year, there's there's a couple new. One. Is that right? Or just 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 the Wellington Wanderers, right? Just Wellington, Wellington Phoenix. Sorry, Phoenix. Wellington this year, yeah. but but more to be introduced in the yeah. coming years. Yeah. I keep I keep wanting to call them the Wellington Wanderers, and that's not the name. And I know it's not the name, but it's just the alliteration just makes me want to uh, go with the W's. Um, something I wanted to touch on: the sustainability of a team having to get once. Obviously, I appreciate them. they're starting. They're going to play the first handful of games in Australia, Wellington, and then at some point next year they'll go back, and I guess teams will have to get over to Wellington. I think the first is that, thing, the first is thing, that a good move? I, mean, I think the first thing that might be worth dropping in here is that there's only funding for them for two years at the moment. Right. Yeah. I guess the other thing to note is um, with the A-League, um, there's the A-League men's and the A-League women. And so at the moment, most of the men's teams have women's teams. So what they're trying to do is bring up all the... Um, well, to a level, play, not a level playing field, but um, so that every team has a, has a women's team. So there's, uh, you might want to help me out here, Kieran, but uh, Central Coast Mariners don't have a women's team. Um, what's the other one? The Carthor and Western United. Yeah. But Western oh, yeah, United West, West, the ones United. that come in. That's, ne that's fairly, next year, right? Yeah, they're that's fairly the new themselves um, in terms of a men's team, so they don't have a women's team. And then conversely, Canberra don't have a men's team, so they've only got a women's team, um, which is kind of an interesting one because they don't have that um, larger financial backing and support from the men's team. Um, but on, on the um, – in terms of the travel and stuff like that, obviously COVID is a bit of an issue at the moment, which is why the Wellington team is based in Australia. Um, but Wellington from Sydney is four hours and Perth from Sydney is four hours on a plane. So the travel isn't really that big a deal. Um, just need a passport rather than that's probably the main difference. Um, but I think, I think it should be reasonable. Well, one would hope it's reasonably sustainable. Usually, um, 
you know, when a country only has one team, they kind of put all their, you know, their money into it and stuff. So it will be this whole New Zealand team, um, you know, in a competition, which, you know, I think is a good thing. So New Zealand, um, their domestic league, you know, I don't think they have something sort of akin to the W League or the A League. Um, so it'll be, it'll be good for their women and it'll mean they can play at home instead of having to go um, overseas and it will, you know, give them a bit more um, grassroots, um, you know, pathways basically to, to a professional um, career. So it's good good for them. Cool. I mean, yeah, I'm excited to see. I don't know what if the uh, coverage has been uh, announced over here. Ben for any of this league is it because I know I think the uh the BT had it last year I don't know if they're continuing that yeah I mean I think it's I, I'm wondering nothing's been announced but I'm wondering because the deal um in Australia with uh with 10 and Paramount Plus so I'm I'm suspecting it's probably we're going to go the same way that the Olympics were over here so we're going through Eurosport player with Paramount Plus that's what I'm expecting Right. And if so, hopefully that will mean that rather than having two games a week, we'll have every single game from my perspective. But again, nothing's been announced, but I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's, well, it's fast approaching. December's yeah. very much fast approaching. So, but I mean, are you, are you finding that the reach for the A-League is, is hitting a, a wider audience now? Because one of the points for for me, what you know, for since everyone wanting to get involved was, it is, you know, all football is getting more and more coverage, and I don't know if that's noticeable on all of your ends that the A League is peaking interest. I think I mean, it definitely. Um, I think um, Channel Ten and Paramount have really thrown thrown all their muscle behind it so far to promote it. Um, the the advertising is beyond what we've seen before, and the. The print and and, uh, and TV coverage um, hyping it up has been been much much better than what we've seen before. Not just in terms of volume, in terms of quality. So I think um, it'll it'll grow. If not this season, it'll steadily start to grow, especially leading into the World Cup. I think that importantly as well, I think Paramount have a stake in the actual competition. They've financially invested in the competition itself, so that um, that means they've got a got a real. Um, uh, a real uh, invest interest into into growing it instead of just trying to broadcast it. So um, it could, in an ideal world, it could be like when Sky came into the Premier League in England, where they, they really needed to grow it for their own benefit, not just try and show it on TV like like Foxtel did. I must say the uh, the coverage like of the Matildas game through Channel Ten uh, was very good. Like you know they had a lead-in show. Um, you know it was a three-hour coverage sort of thing, rather than just in the past it's kind of been kick off, go through final whistle. You barely see the players get to shake hands with each other, and and then you you know it's finished. Whereas this was uh, for both Matildas game quite a substantial coverage with uh, analysis at the beginning and at the end, and um, you know, extended, uh, yeah, sort of information. It was great. So I hope I hope that continues uh, with uh, the A League women's, but uh, we're we're yet to see. But it certainly seems like um, you know they've got their teams together and they've got some you know reasonable pundits there um, giving their opinions. So it's good. That is good. I'm yeah. I'm happy to see any football, um, you know, increase all of that. Um... Oh, I can't speak. Uh, I'm happy to see all of the uh, coverage increase. You know, like the WSL has had it this season so far. Yeah. Um, 
we've we've had it with the FA player. I don't know if you're both familiar with that, where it just it will sit there just playing music and it's just the screen, and then it's like thirty seconds before kickoff, and then it goes, and then you're like, oh, yep, we're here. Um, thanks. <laughs> and then the highlights are some kind of I don't know the same show that they keep doing all the way through. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I can't, and, I can't stress it, the um, the importance of a, of a pre-game show for what it could do for women's football in Australia. Um, it um, with the, with the, with the broadcasters jumping in straight at kickoff, it sort of leaves everyone to sort of form their own opinions and become their own experts on the players, which is great because it means everyone becomes very knowledgeable. But if you're trying to attract new viewers, you kind of need to tell them who to look out for and uh, and who's going to be dangerous this game. It just it just helps helps a lot if you're trying to attract new fans to the, to the game. One hundred percent, and I always forget that a lot of this isn't for you know people who are interested already. It's not just for them; it's for the people that haven't seen it before or aren't so aware of these players. And you always think, "Oh yeah, this is great. This is just what I wanted." And then you're like, "Actually, no. This isn't. This isn't for me mm. specifically. This is for this is for the new audience." Yeah, it's for the channel um, surfers and people just flicking around. And going, exactly. Then oh. yeah. you know you might see a, a quick goal and be like, "Hang on, that was a good goal. Who is this?" Yeah. Um, now, Ben, you mentioned obviously about the the growth of the website. Your website has that. Are you, I mean, I don't know if you notice any of the metrics. I don't know how you see it, but are you noticing it from other parts of the world as well? So the UK is more interested in what you're writing about as you are UK based. It's that. I think that's probably the thing that surprised me the most. I mean, I think when I guess in terms of first of all the the way we've covered what was the W League, the first the first year of the site when it was literally just me, we were just sort of bashing out a, a weekly roundup of what happened. And it was, you know, back then it was sort of like one man and his dog sort of thing reading it. Um, and then, you know, last this time last year, um, Chris and Kieran came on board, which was fantastic. Um, and yeah, we started off not, as I said, not really knowing where we were going or what, what we were going to do with it or how it was going to grow. Um, and just week on week, it sort of started, started off with, you know, 50 in the first week, then it went up to 100. Then to, by the end of the season, some of the stuff were getting, were, were getting in thousands. And it was really interesting where the people were accessing it from. So a lot of the people were accessing it from Australia. Um, quite, I'd say probably three quarters of the audience was coming from Australia. We had quite a reasonable number from the UK. But then there's, and, and again, when we were covering the Olympics in the summer, we were getting all these seemingly random countries that, that were popping up on our metrics. So, you know, there's like, I think Chris was read in Zambia or something. And then there's our, our famous <laughs> um, audience in Ecuador that we, we just obsessed with. You know, there's like two or three people in Ecuador that read most things we put out. And it's like, who the hell are these people? We really want to meet them. We really want to meet them, you know? Um, yeah, so it, it's it's been bizarre but it's been fantastic that there is an audience for Australian women's football and, and it's it's bounded over into you know the other stuff that we do you know this we sponsor eight players at grassroots clubs um, in this country and when we put out features on them it's still read by 70 80 90 people in Australia and you think wow that's just silly in a way well it's not silly. It's not, but it, it feels, you know, when you're, you're writing about Chorley or, or Brighouse Town or, you know, and it's like you, you're getting people in random countries reading about it. It's nuts. And, and I think that is the the information, um, the need for information in, in this area now is 
that not only is it like in a weird way scouting mm. so people who can't get to these places like um you know it, it's just information that, that isn't quite there on in any other level so there's not people really from the local paper per se or these kind of areas it is people in the crowds um i've you know so i someone i've interviewed a few couple of times uh katie root who mm. you know new zealand international is currently playing for southampton fc women um they don't have their own twitter so mm. things like that so you can't follow updates unless you're following the other team's mm. twitter updates yet there might be someone there that writes a match report and that's the only way that people will find about how about that and i think that that is the great thing about women's football is that people care about it mm. and they write about it and a lot of people have gotten careers or in different points in their lives because of it like we're all here because of it yes not so, quite yeah. a career yet but yes <laughs> yeah well i mean you know career in inverted comment you know yeah. like, career is a is a happy <laughs> a, a happy hobby yeah so from all of this you know going back to a bit of a, a preview of the a-league women who are we who am i looking out for what what teams am i you know i'm aware of some of them like melbourne city i mean i'm aware of most of the teams but i don't know the players i should be or anyone else listening should be looking out for so by all means start start uh start pitching me some some good players i'm guessing uh, Chris... we're going to go to our melbourne experts i'm thinking they're going to be one two this year i i think um, well, melbourne victory have been very unusual in the in the women's league in australia where they've managed to retain almost their entire squad from the season before usually teams are on a one season contract and then they disband and it's kind of a free market to get the best players from everyone at the same time. But Melbourne Victory have managed to retain their entire grand final winning team and um, add Courtney Nevin, who played for the Matildas last night, um, and bring back a goalkeeper that was injured from a couple of seasons ago, a really good goalkeeper called um, called Casey Dumont. So I think um, I'm a Melbourne Victory supporter nominally, but I do think they'll probably walk the league this year just because of the consistency and the quality that they've still got. Well, Sydney FC will give them a good nudge too, I reckon. So, <laughs> they've, um, I mean, Sydney, Sydney's actually maintained a lot of their team too. So uh, they've got a few new players. Um, I haven't got the team list with me. Not everyone's announced their full teams yet either. Um, mm. So there's still a few surprises. Western Sydney Wanderers um, have and haven't announced everyone yet. I know they're um, they're saying they're getting a couple of internationals and last. Was it last year or the year before? No, the year before. Um, they had a couple of NWSL players come out that um, didn't do quite as well last year. Um, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, so uh, yeah, Sydney's got uh, Claire Wheeler, I think, or is she? Oh, is she? Actually, I don't. Still oh, in Denmark God, at the moment. Denmark, yeah, because yeah, half of them are in uh, yeah, Sweden and Denmark and places like that. So I'm not sure exactly who's coming back, to be honest. So, um, but I know that they has, Sydney still definitely do have a core team. So Remy Simpson um, is back again. Um, oh God, my mind's going blank. I can't pull the names out. You've got two um, good signings that come in from Canberra, haven't you? You've got Paige Satchel and Jessica Nash. They're really good signings. Oh yeah. Yeah, Paige Satchel, I watched her um, last year and she was great in the Olympics as well. She is an absolute gun. Uh, she's like a – she reminds me a bit of um, – uh, she's a bit like Claire Emsley and a bit like um, 
like Lauren Hemp uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah, she's a bit like him. She's just absolute bulldog and just runs all over the place and a force of nature. So um, she'll be excited to watch, actually. I'm, I'm quite excited about that. So I guess as we're talking up our own personal teams, I've got a shout out for my beloved Perth Glory because last year was, for all sorts of reasons, was a horrendous season. You know, they, we only knew we were going to take part in the league due to COVID about a month before the season. Yeah. We fielded basically a team of local teenagers for most of the season, lost every game. But those teenagers put in a hell of a shift and I was so proud of what they did. But what was really interesting is that those key youngsters were all retained very, very quickly. And then pretty much a whole team was secured within two, two and a half months of last season finishing, which is un pretty much unheard of for the W League. You know, and there's some really, really good players have come in. You know, I'm looking at the list they've got, you know, um, Demi Kulizakis has come in. Um, Gemma Crane has come back, which I'm really pleased about. She was, she's a, she's actually from Derby in England. Um, she's played um, out in the Western Australian um, NPL, which is the sort of tier below the W League um, in Fremantle for a while. She came in, played two games last season, looked really good and then got injured. And missed the rest of the season. She's come back, which is fantastic. Kim Carroll's come back to Perth from Brisbane Raw. Mm -hmm. um, good bit of experience there mm -hmm. in the back line. Yeah, um, Courtney Newborn's come in. And yeah, and there's a few sort of youngsters as well that have come in, come in too from elsewhere. So I'm really positive about Perth this year. I think we've got a good chance of hitting possibly finals football. I've got an early season prediction for Perth and that I think they're going to score goal of the season. Just some of the players they've got are known for spectacular mm. efforts. So yeah. if I was to put money on which team's going to get goal of the season, it'd probably be Perth. There's a young striker there called Alana Janczewski. Yeah. And uh, she can yeah. hit them from 30 yards at the age of 16 in the in the youth side. So, um, yeah, I think her and a couple others there, I think Perth are probably on got some really spectacular talent. In this, up yeah, forward. It'd, be interesting, it'd be interesting to see, I think, how sort of the likes of Hannah Lowry and Tiana mm -hmm. push on. I mean, you know, Tiana's only 16 and she she was, I, I was really impressed with her last year. You know, she phys Physically, she wasn't quite developed there, but she, for a 16-year-old to come in and play against some of the players she did last season, I thought she was fantastic. So I'm really pleased that she was retained and I'm looking forward to seeing how Tiana gets on this year again. I'd really like to see Adelaide make the finals this season as well. I think um, they were really unlucky. They only missed out on goal difference last year. Um, one extra goal on the last day of the season would have got them there. And I think um, their form was – that was their best ever season, really, and their form was great. And they've kept most of their players except for uh, Charlie Grant and Dylan Holmes. But um, they've added some as well, like um, Shay Evans up forward, and I think they'll they'll do really well. And I really – I genuinely hope they make it because they're just a team that, that deserves a finals appearance at some point. Yeah, and I know they've still got a few um, roster spaces left, so I've, I'm hearing there's some reasonably exciting announcements possibly coming from Adelaide mm -hmm. over the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there's some possibly some returnees, shall we say. Are you the person that knows the most about all of these transfer secrets, but are also the furthest away? <laughs> I don't know. But only Chris and Kieran can answer that. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe my next question was going to be yeah no, so no maybe there's gonna... more um more gossip here and, and by the time it gets uh, across the ocean it's sort of filtered out to fact 
yeah, for, yeah, all the, yeah. the craps <laughs> filtered out across the way, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say a little bit about the um, the team you want to win versus the team you think will win the league. And I also had a very quick question because you'd have to excuse my ignorance for the A League um, and the you know formerly the W League. Is it kind of similar in the NWSL where there's a you win the league and then you get put into playoffs, or is there actually just a cup competition yeah. alongside that? Top four. So it's a it's a playoff situation. Top four, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Would you like to see a cup competition installed, or is there just not enough teams to be able to? There is there do is that? talk. So the, the Australian the A League brought in a, the FFA Cup a few years ago to sort of mirror, um, and there is talk, but there has been talk for a while that their women's one will be brought in. But I think, I mean, Chris and Kieran, please correct me on this, but I think the, the focus at the moment is on expanding the league and having more league games because at the moment last year was a 12 game season which is you know, people in England just can't get their heads around why there's only a 12 game season plus mm. plus finals it's nuts yep no that's correct that's correct it's a very short season and um yeah I think there's certainly everybody wants to ex- extend that um to have a full, play a full season but um I, I guess there's a few factors at play, finance, and uh, plus, you know, a lot of the players have traditionally gone back to uh, the NWSL. That's not so much the case at the moment. Um, so there's nothing really stopping it. Um, plus, it, it's run in summer, which is kind of an interesting one too, because um, you know it's quite hot in Australia in summer, so it's um, not really the perfect game for running around uh, when it's 30, 35 degrees. Uh, a lot of the games are at night, but um, a lot aren't. So, um, yeah, full season, maybe in winter. Um, or at the same time, the A-League men's is on even, um, you know, would would be good. I think one of the main obstacles to a cup competition as well, though, is that the, the tiered below the NPLW shares a lot of players with the with the A-League women's. Um, so Melbourne Victory has about four players on the list of, of Colby United. So you couldn't really draw them in the same competition because the players would have to choose one side or the other or disadvantage one side or the other massively. It just at the moment, the way it's set up, it's not really viable to have a cup competition in the same way the FFA Cup is. So is that like feeder teams then, local feeder teams? They run in the, in the winter and the, the women's daily so women's runs in the summer. That seems uh, bonkers. Well, uh, that was going to be my, one of my, my next question was going to be about why a summer league for an extremely worn country, but is that just to try and marry up some of the international windows or? I think the other thing to consider as well is that because the A-League or W-League, whatever you want to call it, it is so short, a lot of players finish W League and then go straight to their state NPL. So a lot mm. of the players will effectively be playing pretty much 10, 11, year, um, 10, 11 months of the year all the way through. So, for example, South Australia had its NPL grand final Saturday just gone. And a lot of those players involved will be jumping back with Adelaide United to play the A-League limited season starting in December. So why? <laughs> just why? Why is that? Uh, why, why Why? not a slightly more winter league? Well, I think, like, you know, you, your grassroots football is played in winter uh, here. So it is a winter sport in Australia, typically. And it's just the, uh, the well, the A-League and the um, W-League that have been in summer. And I think that's more around television schedules, to be honest. So um, winter sports. 
in Australia on television, uh, the AFL and the Rugby League, and much less so Rugby Union. But Rugby League and um, AFL take all the television time on the weekend. So to try and compete against that is very difficult. Like Football is not the number one sport in Australia by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I think they just saw a gap in programming and said, okay, well, look, here's a time where we can put our sport on. And um, it's just been on in the summer. And there was, an to, there was an effort to um, to align it with the, the NWSL as well to try and get American players over and, and, and back and forth so that um, our players could go over there and get top flight football and their players could come over here and, and we'd get some get some high-quality recruits. Um, that was under when the league was run by Football Australia. Now it's run independently of Football Australia, so it may change, but that was that was one of the original plans to have it when it was as well to keep it in that gap for the, the American season. But the international windows will still kind of work out, I guess, as they are at the moment? Or does it, will it, will it like the American League, will it kind of get in the way a little bit? They've worked it so it works out now, I think. I think um, the APL's worked out. So to, to have the, the, um, the international windows fall in gaps in the seasons. Okay, that's good. That's, I say, I don't know enough about it all. This is why you guys are here. And you're letting everyone know on this. Uh, it's very much a work in about. progress. So they're, 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 they've only <laughs> just taken over. This is their first season in charge of the league themselves. So um, there'll be some teething problems, but they're, they're in the, heading in the right direction, trying to make all the right moves. It can't be Amazing. any worse than having um, Tuba guy pop up on your screen during the middle of a match like <laughs> Nick here, and let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know what this is. What? Tube, what? Um, live coverage last year of a few games was interesting, to say the least, and one of which was interrupted um, by a, a guy appearing on the screen with a tuber in the background. And we in his home. In his home, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we lost all coverage of the match and, and crossed to a, a man sat at his computer with a tuber in the background. <laughs> that sounds incredible. No, it's it was. Season. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of part of iconic, actually. So it's like Tuba Guy has gone into legend. So the feed also anyone, is it, uh, in the um the deciding goal for the championship as well. So in the, in the top of the table clash in the last game of the season, there was a penalty kick that would effectively decide who'd finish top. And just as Princess Sabini was taking a penalty kick, the, the, the feed cut for just a couple of seconds, but it was enough to just ruin most of the, the season for everyone. Yeah, my, oh my absolute, absolute nightmare was trying to report on a Perth Glory game where there was absolutely no sound for an entire half. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. that was great. Right. That was really helpful. Yeah, so we're all very excited about the new broadcaster. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why we're excited. <laughs> Two cameras well, will can... make a world of difference instead of just the one on the on the touchline. Can I say I've had some of the similar problems watching some WSL games mm. too with, uh, you know, no sound mm. for the first half and stuff like that. So you know, it's not unique to Australia. So. No, no, no. no, we don't. As far as I'm aware, we haven't got any tuba uh, players no. or retainer. No, you're um, missing out but... big time. So. <laughs> like that's that's all I really want is someone just like you know playing their instrument at home. <laughs> instead of like a, a really exciting nil-nil. I, I should add about Tuba Guy though. From what I know of him, Tuba playing is his is his main job and working for a streaming company is his secondary job. That's 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 what I managed to uncover. So 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to him, if we asked him to play a tuba, he'd probably do it flawlessly. Streaming content, <laughs> maybe not his fault entirely. Maybe it was the company he was working for. Yeah. Was he, he from, like a was he he TikTok home? meme or something now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Time during the pandemic, so just remote tubering. Yes. The tuba was in the background. He wasn't actually playing it during oh. the Oh I thought that was I thought this was just like it just cut halfway through and he's just like <laughs> and I was like, This is amazing. He was actually I think he was responsible for doing the streaming, but for some reason it cut to his camera and uh, as rather than showing the football and uh he had the tuba in the background, but he shall forever be known as tuba guy, so that is like yeah that's really upset me that that wasn't the case that he was playing i and, and it's just like what so he this guy was just like got two cables together and then dropped them and then there he that's, was that's like, actually oh. not far off what, what happened there was there was one <laughs> and again we have to stress this is the old broadcaster and mm. under the old um regime so um what there was there was singular one, broadcaster yeah the there guy was, there was um there was one one cable that was that was running from the ground to a van and that cable got disconnected and that's that's what happened it cut to his home computer so yeah it was one cable because apparently the 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 streaming was outsourced to another company um because it evidently wasn't important enough for the main company to, to focus on themselves and that's um that's what happened it was one cable yeah has anybody done like a mashup of that back to the future and the game so when about <laughs> to hit the penalty kick cuts out Dot Brown sorting out sorting out the clock tower and then the football's back because that would be that's all I want to see. I just want to see the miracle. I don't, I don't want to see. I want to see the tuba as well, but I want to see the miracle. If you Google tuba guy, it'll it'll come up. The poor guy. Oh, yes, one yes, one hundred percent. I'm going to find that later on. Right back to the important business. I mean, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have to go now. Uh, it's quarter past seven, so I got to get on. So I'll. Okay bid my uh, farewell so thank you so much to chris she's gone off to work i assume or just sleep again i'm not sure what the uh, the deal was um but yeah so we're going to head back to the wsl uh kieran i mean you've seen an amount of games um mm-hmm. connectivity all been okay so far yeah coverage here is brilliant um it's done by optus sport which uh have the premier league so um they pretty much cover it or they give you the same access that you get for watching watching the EPL. So you can pick your games. Um, there's there's usually pretty good uh, mini documentaries about the players and interviews with them. Um, the coverage here is great for for the WSL. It's it's brilliant. So it lets you watch all the, any game you want. Really, you can you can watch very easily. And who have you been impressed with from a, an Australian perspective so far? Aside, obviously Sam Kerr that we've oh, asked a lot about already. Arsenal are yeah, frighteningly well, yeah. good, aren't they? They they just they except for that that game against Barcelona, they seem to be doing whatever they want on the field. Um, I don't know if you're coaching against them, who do you look out for? You've got Miedema, you've got Kim Little. Kim Little's the best player I've ever I've ever seen in the stadium personally. Um, men's or women's, she's just so dominant. Um, I saw Zidane play once out here in Australia. It's that level of just she can do whatever she wants with the ball. You can't get it off her. Um, so probably Arsenal. I think. Chelsea might just tip it at the end, um, but yeah, yeah, it can't go past Arsenal. I don't know what's happening at Manchester City. Injuries aside, 
Uh, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the answers for that. I think uh, Ben's happy. You said Chelsea. We're going to pip it. Um, I can see him smiling. <laughs> I think. I think the thing with Chelsea is is something that we've kind of said for a long time. They haven't got strength in depth defensively, and up until this season, they've always managed to find a way in the WSL against their fellow top teams. Um, but this year, I think you know they. If you think about their last three games against the top top teams, so Barcelona in the Champions League final, Arsenal on the opening day, Wolfsburg in the Champions League this year, the three tough toughest games they've had in that period they've been very very iffy to say the least defensively and I think so it feels like the chickens are coming home to roost that there's been no defensive strengthening over the last couple of years and I think it was I understand why Hannah Blundell left to Manchester United because it was within the deal to bring Lauren James to Chelsea but she was a very very reliable backup defensively when you needed when you needed that and I think you know when Magda Eriksson got injured at the tail end of last season it was it was pretty worrying um but now even with with Magda in there it, it was pretty shambolic at, at um, the Emirates on the opening day which I'm, I know you were there Tom as well um and it was unfortunate to say the least against Wolfsburg yeah I mean yeah first person I walk off the tube uh, in Arsenal uh, in Arsenal <laughs> in London and I see his Ben. Yeah. That was quite uh, quite random. But yeah, that yeah, I, I felt Ericsson didn't look quite right in the final either last year. I feel like not maybe rushed back from injury, but a little early for sure. Um, but I was going to say any other Australian players that you've like, I mean, Mackenzie Arnold had a, I felt had a good season last year. Mm. Um, you know, obviously West Ham definitely improved. Um, but it's, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to skirt around. I'm going to flit around to different, um, Teams very quickly. I think that Rachel Daly could do a job at right wing back for Chelsea, and I th- and I purely say that because if Vigman's going to take her to, well, take her home to the home Euros, and that's where she's going to play, it'd be good to get her some experience at it. And I actually think that she'd do quite a good job for Chelsea there as a backup to either Cuthbert or Marin Mielder. Um And you've got Millie Bright that obviously want, is her like best mate. So I think that wouldn't be a bad move for the, you know, next like four or five months. But yeah, I mean, Ben, I, would you would you have it there, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think January when the window opens, there needs to be some kind of, and I mean, things we've said this for every window for the last couple of years with Chelsea, there needs to be some kind of defensive work done. Um, you know, I mean, Emma Hayes has said that she's she's kind of tried but not got who she's wanted. So because she couldn't get who she wanted, she didn't sort of settle for second best. But yeah, I think something something needs to be done, and I think yeah, why not? I think playing Aaron Cuthbert at right back is such a waste of a of a Absolutely. really good attacker. So whatever Absolutely. they can do to unleash her, where she can do damage, is is going to help them massively yeah. too. But she did it against Juventus. She she got that yeah. position and she came in. She like whether she was too high or not, but she made it count. Mm. And that's the thing. I've, I mean, like, yeah, I've, yeah, Cuthbert's great. I got so much time for her, and I think that wherever you put her on that pitch, she'll do. You know, she'll give you one hundred and ten percent. So, yeah. And if you've got those kind of players, you can kind of put them a little bit out of their position because they will still do a hell of a job. And going back to what you said but before yeah, about um, Mackenzie Arnold, I think, um, yeah, uh, I think she's slightly underrated by by Australian fans. Um, probably not in Brisbane, where, where where she played a lot of games, but. Um, 
it's really good to see her doing well in, in, in London. I think um, Tony Gustafsson's been on record saying he wants three informed top quality goalkeepers for the World Cup. So she's going to be very important coming in. Uh, and the better form she's in, the better it is for the national team. But Williams hasn't really played at Arsenal, I'd argue. Like a little bit last season, but I don't think anything this season yet. And she's she started... Oh, did she start to, today or did she start? She started the, yeah, last, she started the first game against Brazil. I think, you know, she, the Olympics was, was Tegan Micah's. She was absolutely outstanding at the Olympics. And she's been really, really unlucky because she's been injured um, around both camps since the Olympics. Um, so she hasn't unfortunately played uh, since the third place game at the Olympics. But yeah, I mean, I think I would say probably Tegan Micah is probably in the, the number one spot probably at the moment. I was really pleased that uh, Jada Wyman got very late call up, mainly because she was probably because she was in Sydney, um, and so didn't have to go through some of the various issues that others would have um, to replace Micah at, when she pulled out. So yeah, I'd like to see Jada Wyman get a bit of time as well, possibly. I think the other yeah, one at, yeah. at West Ham is uh, Tamika Yallop. Um, yeah, she's absolutely, especially with the injuries Australia's got in midfield now and the inexperience we've got in midfield she's probably the most important or definitely the most important midfielder we've got at the moment for the national team for her to be playing at West Ham and playing well so far is um is massive for us yeah I think she was outstanding in the Olympics you know Mm. particularly in in the first game on Saturday against Brazil I mean she was you know, she's in the middle of everything physically. You know, I mean, if I mean, Crikey and Chris was saying that Caitlin Thorne must have bruises everywhere, but my God, <laughs> Tamika Yallop's probably all over, got bruises all over the place. The way, you know, and I think, I think, you know, she's coming to England, and not many people over here know much about her. I don't think, and I think she, I think she's going to be a real, a real weapon for West Ham this year. And I think they're certainly going to be top six if, if you know, if she can get firing and the other players that didn't necessarily perform last year in the way that they could have done. I think they could have a really good year this year. Yeah, they've definitely got some steam with them now. The uh, the changes behind the scenes and on, you know, a lot of the playing staff as well, they just, they look a lot better. They just look a lot, lot better with like, you know, a few key moves. And, you know, these Australians, Rachel Daly last year, um, Emily Van Egmond when she was there, you know, these are excellent players. And they've really, really helped that team. Yeah, I don't think it was any coincidence that that Australia lost control of the game a little bit more when when Yallop went off last night. I think if she's on the whole game, maybe if the games aren't three days apart, then we might be able to pinch that win. Yeah, and I mean, also Catley at Arsenal as well as uh, as Williams. Catley's been looking decent. Caitlin Ford a little bit. She hasn't. Started maybe maybe as many games as of yet, but it's a long season still. She's been injured though, hasn't she? She's been injured oh, she? for much of the first part of the season. That's why she hasn't played. There we go. That answers my uh, my statement and straight away. There. I mean, Steph was out for most of last season with injuries, so I think she's yeah. almost like a new signing for Arsenal this year. So, you know, I think she, she if she has a, the year that I would expect her to have, I think she's going to be a real standout this year. Yeah. That's it. I kind of forgot that she went even the last year. That's it. Like there's, well, I mean, the last year has been an absolute mental drain. So uh, a lot of the information that you would normally normally remember about all these players has just disappeared. Um, for me, anyway. Who else have we got? Who else have we got in the WSL that 
that you've been high assignment at, at Spurs. It's it's really good to see her get a, a move to you know get the WSL. She had you know she had a lot of injury problems at PSV last year, um, and it, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, I think she probably could have could have got a um, a slightly higher echelon club. She's that kind of a player, but I think it's a good it's a good first step for her. And again, I think she's someone that she was brilliant at the Olympics again. Um, yeah, she's she's a really good player and she deserves a chance to, to play at the highest level, I think, over here. And I think Emily Gilnick's going to be a big hit when she gets fit again for, for Villa, for Aston Villa. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, she's a really powerful forward who can play wide, can play for the middle, can play either flank, can score goals from outside the box, from inside the box, can score headers. She's just an elite attacker. And um, especially for the an attacks built around her to some degree, she's... Very, very good, close to unstoppable when she's when she's informed. There's some highlights that you can find of her being in positions where you'd want to cross, and she just has a shot instead. And it's not one of those ones where you think, "Is that a cross? Is that a shot?" She's she's lined it up and had a had a ping, and it's gone in. She's just a very dynamic, unpredictable player, and I think she'll really suit uh, the WSL too. Talking about dynamic players, there's one Matilda over here whose name hasn't cropped up tonight yet, and that's Kieran's favourite. Hayley Rasso. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, she's been unfortunate with injury in the, uh, you know, in the recent weeks, but she looked, I was, I thought she looked great at Everton last year and, you know, her and Christensen, who I guess are still pals because there's always social media stuff. Um, I guess they're still pals. I don't know if that's a, that's a t-shirt there, much like the uh, Sam Kerr one, if anyone knows. No, <laughs> no, it's gone over on everyone's head. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought I, you know, I thought she had a good season there, and all, all things considered, um, but and they've really struggled without a few of their key players from last year, I think. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what she does at City when they when they all start, you know. She looked very good in her first the game, infirmary. didn't she? Yeah, like that was, you know, her. I mean, Kennedy as well. I think once the pressure's off her a little bit as the sort of sole defender. I think she will have a better season. I think she just needs to work through it and she'll get there with Kennedy. But but Razzo, when she's she doesn't need a whole lot of minutes on the field or even a whole lot of the ball to make a big impact. And I think um, if you have her on one wing and Lauren Hemp on the other, and then even Khadija Shaw in the middle, that's a lot for any defence to handle when they're when they're all up and going. Just talking about Man City and defending, I think there's also the um, the, the, the choice of of not selecting. A certain defender that they brought in from Ruby Mace. Why it's just beyond me. Why? What? What does she need to do? There's no defenders there. What does she need to do to get into the first team? She's a fantastic player. Well, I think Taylor said something about how she wasn't quite ready or something like this. Or you know, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, despite the fact she played, she played a fair few games as a sub for Arsenal and then went on loan with Birmingham and did really well in a really poor Birmingham team. It just does not make sense. So there's something that, I mean, I don't know. He didn't, he obviously hasn't seen that he liked prior. Yeah, and then when you, you've got someone like Herb and then you're replacing your defenders with people like Georgia Stanway or Janine Becky. Or Jill Scott. Yeah, and you you know, you're thinking, my God, you've got Ruby Mace there. What what are you doing? Yeah, I guess, well, I mean, you know, maybe he was saving her until later with some slightly fitter players. I mean, I don't know. It's a, yeah. It was a weird, weird time for Man City. But hopefully, after this international window, they will 
kick on a little bit with some of the players back. I mean, Kira Walsh played tonight. She, she was very good. Um, so hopefully they can start. Tough first game back for them though on Sunday. Oh, is it, I, I haven't looked at any kind of the FF fixtures as yet. Oh yes, that's right. That's Chelsea, isn't it? Mm. That's Chelsea. Yeah, that's a tough one. But I mean, you know, they're in the same boat of having players coming back from international break. So, um, yeah, we will see. That's going to be an interesting one. Is that is that in Manchester? Where yeah. is it? Or is it? Yeah, yeah it's at the Academy Stadium. Yeah, I think Penilla okay. Hardo got an injury last night, didn't yes, she, she? As did. well, yeah. yeah, that's it's going to make it just that little bit more interesting too. She's been flying for Chelsea this season. Yeah, she's been incredible. <coughs> right, we'll bring it back to the uh, a little bit about the future. So, the A League next year, you're getting three more teams, mm-hmm. and then obviously you're trying to expo- expand the game a little bit. Has this new league format increased any kind of grassroots pathways at all? For Western um, United, I, don't I know it has. Um, they're a team. It's kind of hard to describe where they're from. They say they're from the west of Melbourne, but they're based in the northwest. Uh, they play their home games in Geelong, which is an hour away from Melbourne. But they might also play some games in South Melbourne for the men's side. So they're kind of an all-over-the-place club. They're very new and they're still trying to find their, their identity. But they've got a really strong link with Coldy United that um, is a is an MPL club. Um, they share a lot of resources and I think that there's going to be a real pathway for players to to come up through Calder's junior teams to eventually hopefully get an A-League women's opportunity. That's that's probably their plan long-term, which is which is a bit new for, for most um, A-League women's teams in, in Australia so far. In terms of Central Coast Mariners, I mean, they did have a team in the first two seasons of the W-League um, and... You know, the legend that is Michelle Heyman was was in their team when they started out, and then they had to redraw for all financial reasons. You know, and sort of Central Coast have kind of been the A League men's team has kind of been dogged financially on and off, haven't they, over the over the years? So mm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what sustainability there would be financially for Central Coast to have a long term women's team, Kieran. Well, they've kept their academy going, so they're, they're still clearly keen on investing in, in, in women's football. But, um, yeah, my only – the only thing that's, that's changed between last time and now is the, the new broadcast deal, the new investment that's going to come from that and um, the fact that the APL is running in the show and really does need a longer season for mm. for their own for their own good, really. Like, it's not Football Australia running the league now. It's, it's the league running the league, and they need to have – have a longer season. They know that and they, they need to work towards that. So um, I think there's a lot more uh, self-interest in keeping Central Coast going this time around than there was last time. Not to say that Football Australia what, wasn't keen on keeping them around, but they have a whole lot of things on their plate at all times. They have the Matildas, they have the World Cup bid, they have the Socceroos, they have the Oliroos. There's so much going on at Football Australia. For them to worry about Central Coast is probably not close to their top of priorities, but it will be Closer to the top for, for the APL, I think. And then I guess the other team would be MacArthur, who, um, I mean, they, they've only just not been long in the A-League uh, men's competition. Um, probably a bit of an unfortunate timing for them to come in with sort of COVID and all the rest of it. So 
I'm a bit unclear over here as to what the size of their fan base is because the few games that they have had fans in, there hasn't been, you know, there's been two or three thousand in the ground for the men's games. You know, and there's a there's been a number of teams that have come into the A League men that have started well, crowds have fallen down and they dropped out of the league with, you know, North Queensland Fury, Gold Coast United to name two. So I don't I don't know, I'm not quite sure what the situation with MacArthur is sustainably and obviously Chris, based in Sydney, may be able to help us out a bit more on that. But, Kieran, what, what do you know of MacArthur? Sydney teams confuse me. Um, I'm from Melbourne, and there's basically like three sections to Melbourne. There's, there's the west, there's the middle, and there's the, the east. And that's all we have to worry about. Everything's maybe about 40 minutes away from each other. Sydney's a, a big area, and um, I, I, I'm always surprised when they add new teams in Sydney. But then you find out just how expansive the city is and how how different each area is from each other. So um, I know the A-League team has, A-League men's team has struggled to, to attract steady supporters, yeah. but that doesn't mean there's not a big market there for, for women's football. Um, like Canberra, there's no men's team, but the women's team packs in like good solid crowds repeatedly year on year. So th- there might be a massive, uh, massive supporter base for a women's team out there. And if they, they do the right thing and, and develop grassroots connections and local connections, send players to schools, run clinics, just all those, those little things that clubs need to do when they're starting up, there's no reason they can't grow a huge support because there's definitely the population for it out there. Okay. And something that, again, I don't know enough about the um, the Australian pathways thing and the leagues. Is it one of the bigger women's sports there, football, or is it like, like in the US it's the biggest – potentially even the UK is the biggest now. I don't know if it's if it's that or something else in Australia. Uh, it's probably, probably probably about third. Uh, cricket, the Women's Big Bash League in the cricket is probably the biggest. The AFL is, is pushing it. Mm. AFL Women's is pushing it. But that's a very short season like the, like the A-League Women's. It's a very short season that's um, very much semi-professional. Um, but they're really – they put a lot of money and a lot of weight behind their advertising and they – pack out big crowds for the, the mm. finals, especially. Um, women's football is, is probably third, but all the right moves are being made to, to keep it keep it growing, at least. Um, they're, they're steadily working on increasing the amount of money that you can earn playing it. Um, this season is significant because we've seen more, multiple clubs offer multi-season deals, which hasn't really happened before this year. So Perth have given the majority of their signings two-year deals. Melbourne Victory have, have given... Uh, two-year deals to a lot of players. Uh, they're just the two I know off the top of my head, but I know that, that they're working on building teams um, for more than one season, which helps keep supporters on board too. It's always been a bit of fun having players swap teams, but I think now it's time to grow the league properly and have proper clubs maintain themselves as proper clubs instead of a, a, a basically a team of assembled players each season. Is that down to the investment, this big investment for the league then? Is that, is that the main reason that they're able to do it? Yeah, there's a lot to do with that, yeah. It's it's mostly down to to will, though, as well. Um, clubs just have to back their players to perform more than 12 weeks, basically. And so we'll back you to perform 24 or 36 weeks. It's not um, it's not that big a jump when, when you think of it in terms of that. But for some reason in the past, they've just been reluctant to give players more than that one season contract. So okay. in terms of um, you know, the Matildas and the, the Socceroos, I mean, would it be fair to say that the Matildas are the, are the more loved, widely loved team in the Socceroos? 
Yeah, I think so. I think um, mm. now, from like basically the stats of the Olympics were basically one in twelve Australians watched the Matildas play, um, which is massive. That's that's just huge. That's that's unheard of for for women's football in Australia. Unheard of for women's sport, you would think. Um, those are sort of numbers you get from from like our, our swimmers at the Olympics to have that many people watching them. Uh, so. Yeah, the market's definitely there, and everyone likes likes a winner too. But um, yeah, the Matildas have been in the top ten in the world recently, and the Socceroos are starting to regain the form they had almost fourteen years ago now, in two thousand six, when they had a top twenty team. So yeah, the Socceroos are going positively, the Matildas are going positively, but with the World Cup coming up ahead, there's you know there's a real groundswell of of excitement about them still. Well, that leads us perfectly into discussions about the World Cup. Um, that's going to be a big tournament, especially because it's over two countries that aren't that close, but aren't that far away. Um, how are we feeling about that? Yeah, excited. Very excited. Um, it's so rare to have a World Cup in your country. So I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I'm going to try and go to as many games as possible, just of, of all kinds. I'm looking forward to even getting across to New Zealand because I haven't been. It's a great excuse to go over as well. Yeah, it's not like a. I guess it's not like a short jump over to France for us. It is a. It's still a bit of a way. Mm. And I think also just the size of Australia um, means that some supporter bases are probably going to have to base themselves in in one or two cities. You're going to sort of pick where you're going to go. Like I think. Um, the flight between Brisbane and Perth is the biggest flight in, in Australia and probably one of the biggest flights you can take domestically anywhere in the world. So we still don't really know what the airline industry is even going to look like in, in two years' time because it's uh, some places um, had struggled with the COVID. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens. I think a lot of people will base themselves in Sydney and Melbourne and sort of go in between and then uh, hopefully the, the, the locals will pack out the other, the other cities. Because it will be a winter tournament, right? Is it going to be in 2023? July. July, yeah. Yeah, it'll be winter. So but, that will benefit everybody? Yeah, the winters winters here is a very different thing to a winter in, in Europe or North America, though. It's it's still pretty mild. So a winter's day here could be 20 degrees, 20, 21 degrees Celsius uh, outside. Yeah. I've been in Perth in August, and the locals are in hats and scarves and woolly, God knows what else, and I'm there in my t-shirt and sorts. It's like an English summer day, so it ain't winter time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been. I don't know. Like, I know you know you you, you see neighbours, you get an idea of the weather. It's hard to tell. I mean, in Melbourne, especially, you, you could get it. It could be winter in the morning and summer in the afternoon. It's not. It's it could be anything, but it's not going to be winter as most of the rest of the world knows it. Yeah, well, that's good then. I mean, it's not going to be a December World Cup, no, like in the men's, no, in Qatar. So that's good. Um, but yeah, it's. Are you noticing? Obviously, you said it's the excitement's there already. In a lot of ways, are you? You know, uh, broadcasters really getting behind it. Is there more and more sponsorship from? Yeah, there's things uh, like um, the... billboards that we haven't seen before, um, which is which is mostly to promote the the. Um, the sponsorship of the, the team and the, the broadcast deal. But we even two years ago, even when the Matildas were flying and, and smashing Brazil 6-2, they weren't getting billboards just above highways and things like that. So as it stands now, I think most of the excitement is in the women's soccer community. But 
it's starting to cross over into just mainstream sports community and, and people in Australia do love to just rock up to any major sporting event. Um, so I think when, it, when it's actually here, you'll have people, people show up, they'll show up and it'll be huge. And drink and, and drinking in the stadiums or? Yeah, there's drinking in the stadiums. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. it's not an important part. I was just curious. You can't, no, you can't no, really do that here. You can't go to an Aussie sporting event unless you've got a, a pint and a pie, Tom. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like you know, you, you is it late? Like, you have you have the little bits, don't you? So because it gets too hot, right? That's the, the depends what state you're in. Ah, okay. And who's who's running the stadium food as well? <laughs> they they want to they want you to refill as much as possible. And, yeah, <laughs> they're all independent vendors. They want to make their their buck out of it. But um, yeah, the stadiums are going to be great. The, the the local fans in the women's football community are really really keen, so I think it'll cross over very soon. That's really exciting. It's really, it, you know it's going to be an exciting World Cup for sure. Um, I know a lot of people are trying to get out from over here, and you know, football Twitter is trying to plan how they're going to survive over there, just with all the games. And as you said about having bases in like Sydney or Melbourne, but. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I, I'd love to be able to try and get there. I had tickets for some of the France World Cup games, but just ended up not being able to go. And that was really disappointing. But... Yeah, I had, I had the same issue. I had, I had everything sorted for France and then I, I spent my money getting married instead, which was the best decision I could have made. But I'm looking forward to going to a World Cup too. Yeah. Right. I think that is pretty much our time on the joys of australia and all of the football within it um kieran thank you so much thank you um, i appreciate it. it's still early have you got a busy day planned or are you uh, a bit of a busy day planned yeah there's there's lots to cover about the matilda's game last night I'm, I'm lucky i don't have um any hard deadlines to file on the whistle so i got to go to bed but um yeah there's lots of work to do today after that well enjoy that um ben get some sleep get some rest i guess you got a quiet a couple of days before you go back to school eh yes yeah i've got i'm got an early chat with um perth glory's alex apakis head coach tomorrow morning so but yeah after that i can have a few days a few days off because it's been nuts the last few days but it's been amazing it's been absolutely amazing and thank you to chris who's done a fantastic job for the site um out in sydney um and also kieran who's he, he's the best analyst of a game that you will come that you will read he's the stuff that he writes for us is amazing and he consistently gets massive audience for it so he's an absolute superstar kieran thank you for everything you do thanks ben well that was lovely um thank you both for joining us on this chat um and yeah and we'll see you all soon if uh, your podcast app has something that you can rate or review or subscribe please do thanks to you who's gonna be editing this soon Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Chris, who has since gone to work. Um, yeah, and we'll see you all again soon. Yeah. Well, not see, but, you know, hear you all again soon. Or speak. You'll hear us soon. That kind of thing.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 